Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm late. I'm late. Very important. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourist and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com when you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds. And President Joe Biden said Trump didn't build a damn thing, even though it was infrastructure week. We have such a fantastic show today. Congressman Maxwell Frost joins us to talk about how Republicans want to shut down the government. Then we'll talk to TPM's Josh Marshall about President Biden's lowering of drug prices. But first, we have the host of The Time of Monsters, the nation's Jeet here. Welcome to Fast Politics, Jeet here. Good to be here. So let's talk about we're back. The holiday is over. The summer is over. Congress is coming back and they have a very ambitious agenda, which involves doing everything they can to endanger their endangered Republican Congress people discuss. Yeah, it is sort of strange that it looks like they're going ahead with impeaching Biden. And on one level, kind of makes sense that if you don't really have an agenda you can pass and you have a fractured caucus, maybe one way to hold it together is to unify against an enemy. On another level, it doesn't make sense because there is like roughly 18 or so seats where Biden won. And I don't think the people who are voting in those seats, where Biden won and they have a Republican representative, I don't think in those seats, they're going to like cotton up to the idea that uh, Biden should be impeached because his son Hunter has a 
giant hog. I, then it seems like uh, you know, I don't see anything in the Constitution that justifies. Uh, I mean, I'm excited about this impeachment because, I mean, you ask them like, well, why do you guys want to impeach Biden? And they're like the border, fentanyl, hunter, something I saw on Fox News. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it is the sort of a politics of theater. And I mean, in some ways, the Congress has become a sort of branch of Fox News. I mean, it has a sort of symbiotic relationship. Of, right. I think that's really true. Yeah. Where the host and the parasite have become one. And so the, I mean, basically, like every Republican congressman, like their dream, their fantasy, what they live for is to go on Fox. And they're also watching Fox all the time and getting their perception of reality from Fox. And so, yeah, it, it leads to the kind of absurdity that we're seeing now. It is true. I want to get back to this idea that, like, the Republican Party now is just the congressional Republicans are so Fox News adjacent that they are actually like part of Fox News. And I think about your friend of mine, Trey Gowdy, who is neither your friend nor mine, but who is on Fox News and who sort of shot to prominence using Benghazi to get himself a job at Fox News. And like, I think about that because when you watch Fox News, you know, it's sort of a revolving door of the craziest. And what I think is interesting about Fox News, which I think is also something we've seen with small dollar donations in the Republican Party, is that they incentivize crazy disgust. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, I think one way to maybe think about this is the lack of any sort of like governing agenda. And I mean, they have things that they want, which are wildly unpopular, you know, to, to privatize Medicare and Social Security. Whereas I think that if they if you do sort of Benghazi type politics, politics of pseudo scandal, like it's a way of riling up the base without actually having to make the kind of difficult decisions that you need to make about sort of like taxes and spending. I sort of see this as partially a flight from responsibility. It's also, I think, sort of tied in with the sort of gerrymandering or the regional sorting that like I, Fox is, on the grand scheme of things, a niche network, like at the best of times, getting three, four million uh, viewers. But the niche that watches it is the hardcore Republican base, the people you need to get out there to win primaries and you need to be sending you like 20 bucks a month if you want to be viable. And just as like sort of Republicans have become a minority party, like they're trying to game the system so they can govern both in uh, Congress, the Senate and the presidency with a minority of the vote. They've sort of made this alliance with a kind of like, you know, minority network, right? They're not like, it's not like CBS or ABC, which themselves are kind of not what they once were. Like when we were kids in the 70s and 80s, we were, everyone watched those networks. So it is a sort of a politics of niche casting. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I would also add that it's partially this sort of niche thing. But I do think like this idea that they have these wildly unpopular ideas and that the Republican Party has really run out of ideas, I think is really important. 
And when we talk about this Republican Party and the sort of like way they've gotten themselves into this, it was like one of the reasons why Trump won. If we have to go back, I would love to never say that sentence again. One of the reasons why Trump won. But one of the reasons why Trump won was because he introduced some popular ideas, right? Like he said, I'm going to punish China for taking away your jobs, right? Because there were places where people had lost jobs because of factories had moved to Asia or to wherever. And so he was sort of like, I'm going to be your vengeance, right? He's, I'm going to get back at globalization from for whatever. And so I do think like those few ideas that were at least populist were in some ways like the first time that party has ever offered anything. Not the first, but one of the very few times when that party has offered. Because I mean, think about like lower taxes for businesses. I mean, who is that for besides rich people? Uh, Absolutely. And then one saw it in like 2016 and you're sort of seeing it now where like Trump was the guy who was saying, like, I'm not going to cut Medicare and Social Security. Who wants to do that? And even his critique of Obamacare is kind of interesting. I mean, he lied, right? Like, he basically, to say something that's extremely popular, like, well, Obamacare is not working, then I'll get you what Obamacare has, but better, right? And how will you do that? I'll make a deal, right? Now, on the one level, obviously a grifter and a conrad, but that's very different than the standard Republican message, which is like, you get nothing, right? We're going to take this away, take these things away from you. And it's interesting. I mean, the, the other Republicans, I mean, this is there's many reasons why he's going to be the nominee. But one of them is that, like, if you look at the other people, the alternative that they're offering is like sort of a return to austerity, right? Like both like, you know, Nikki Haley and... DeSantis, and they're all saying, like, we got to raise the retirement age, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and that, that, that's really striking. Like, Nikki Haley was the reasonable, sane Republican. She says, well, people are living longer. That's not we got to pay, pay for this. Well, luckily for Trump, because of his incredible COVID response and the anti-vax stuff, people are actually not living longer. Well, this exactly. Is the good yeah. news. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But I mean, Haley. And at least in America. Yeah. yeah. At a time where like life expectancy in America is going down, she wants to raise retirement age, which means like, like literally like you're going to have like just a much smaller period of retirement if she gets her way. And like, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, like if the alternative is between that and Trump, who says he Anything won't read, you want. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll give you ice cream and that won't make you fat. Like you can have all the sex you want without venereal disease. Like he's, you know, he's like just going to like apparently like, like high in the sky. But that's still more attractive than saying like, you got to work till you die. Right, right, right. Which might be soon. I mean, the thing I feel like the greatest trick the Republican Party ever played was not somehow being blamed for lowering the life expectancy in America. I mean, you have a party of anti-vaxxers, right, who have basically said that all public health messaging is wrong and that people should be taking horse dewormers. And those people are not blamed for lowering. And then like, surprise, surprise, the American life expectancy goes down and and it's like, oh, we can't blame those guys. I mean, I think you should. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd get to a more uh, vigorous opposition party that would do that. But I mean, that's obviously not what we have. But still, yeah, I, I mean, the policies that they have, like the actual policies, not like Trump's pie in the sky stuff, the actual policies that they have are just like wildly unpopular because they're basically like, let's give more money to Uncle Scrooge and Richie Rich and to Burns. 
and uh, everyone else, all you Homer Simpsons out there, you got to work till you die. I'm, like, I would think that's a hard sell. So what's the alternative? Like, it's like, oh, well, like Hunter Biden, he's doing shady stuff and the immigrants are uh, crossing the border. There's a border crisis. The scandals at least have more, at least, at least they have the appeal that you're not telling people to work till they die, right? Like, that's a better message, all things considered. Right. I mean, that's the work till you die message seems like not a winner. But again, I mean, I just this Republican Party. I mean, I don't want to talk about the GOP debate again, because I think we have another one coming up and it's just going to be we're in this like I mean, the debate without the front runner, I just think is kind of a meaningless matrix. But I do think it's ultimately kind of like we are finding ourselves with the Republican Party that has no ideas, right? It has these unpopular ideas or it has these Trumpy ideas. I think the thing that I'm a little bit interested in besides this Republican Party's problem is that there is a pretty interesting moment in American media right now, which is a sort of underreported story, which is this idea that like a lot of us are pretty depressed about the idea of having to do 2020 over again. Discuss. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, it looks like it's shaping up to be Biden and Trump. Having said that, anything could happen, right? Like, especially on the Trump end, like all these criminal cases, but you got to think his health is not that great. But if it is Trump versus Biden, you feel like you're trapped in an endless loop, right? Like this is Groundhog Day, but not fun. Like at least Bill Murray in Groundhog Day got to improve himself and became better and escaped the loop. But like, imagine a Groundhog Day where it's actually like, yeah, actually things are getting worse and worse. You're reading yourself and it's getting worse and worse. And like in terms of psychology, I mean, that is actually a bad mental health state to be in. That sort of repetition compulsion, right? Like where you have to do yet another, I, I can speak for myself. I try not to write about Trump because I just feel like I've sort of had my say and to occupy the mental space where you have to be thinking about Trump and thinking about this, like really monster, not, not just monstrous, like He's not an interesting monster like Dracula right, or right, Darth Vader. Right, right. He's just like this mean, petty, nasty little man. And to, like the fact that we have to be thinking about him is very depressing. And conversely, like I mean, I think Biden has done a lot of good stuff. I mean, I think there's a serious argument to be made that Biden is the best Democratic president on domestic policy since like Lyndon Johnson. And he doesn't have the Vietnam War, which just makes it even better. And by the way... I will go along with you on this. Like one of the things that I think is really important to talk about is like last week, Biden started this prescription drug negotiation, which is the first time any president has done it since Medicare Part D. Right. Number one. Then we had this bilateral South Korea, Japan meeting at Camp David the week before. I mean, the man is doing a lot of stuff. It's just that all we hear about is DeSantis refusing to meet with him in Florida. Yeah, no, that's right. And I, I, I don't know, like, how Biden can overcome that sort of grip hold. I mean, it's part of the same story we're talking about, how, like, Fox News and the GOP have merged as one. And if that's the case, then Fox News is also setting the agenda for the rest of the media, because the media has to pay attention to what the GOP is doing. He's one of the major parties. It is a, a real problem. I, I mean, I'll say Biden has done a lot of great stuff. Whether, I don't know, it, it's really his decision and the party has decided like, there's no one serious that's running against him. So there's nothing really that one could do. I would have actually thought that he could have gone a different way and just said, like, I was the guy who came in to defeat Trump 
And now that I've done that, you know, the party can move on and we have to go in a new direction. Because I actually think that the party has a lot of really good people and people are like more kind of able to engage with the times. I mean, okay, so let's talk about this, because I feel like this is a very common conversation that I hear a lot with Democrats is like Biden is old. We should have someone else. And like, I want to talk about this because I feel like, again, if he were running against Ron DeSantis, you could say for sure. Ron DeSantis is 44 years old. Biden is 80. Not cool. But Biden is 80. Trump is 77. Biden defeated Trump before. And again, like, yes, I agree. There is certainly a case to be made that he's too old. But from what I understand, right, he thought... And again, this is not sort of my sense of the case, and this is sort of my own suppositions, but my sense is that he felt that he was the most likely to be able to defeat another old white guy again. And remember, the power of incumbency is humongous. It is. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah it is know. incalculable. And then the other thing is that we have these polls like this poll today, this Washington Post poll, 1,500 people, 600 of those polled were registered Republicans. It is a poll by Trump's favorite pollster, Fabrizio. And again, is it an accurate poll? I don't know. I mean, it's a poll that asks, is Biden too old? And that poll, which is more than a third registered Republicans, which is Trump's base, and they're not even registered Republicans. They are primary voting Republicans, right? So they are the real Trumpy base. They say Biden is too old, but Trump is not too old. So like, do with that what you will. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that Trump's baggage is so much greater than anything Biden has. I think that, like, if it does come down to a Biden-Trump thing, I think, like, aside from that GOP base, I don't think Trump gets the independence. I don't think anyone wants to go back, who's not a hardcore Republican, wants to go back to those Trump years. So I'm not that worried about Biden. And to be honest, like, I know you're very sort of doomy, uh, pessimistic person. So, uh, you know, offer a positive. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I actually think the Democrats are in good shape more broadly. Like, I keep seeing all these special elections, and like, right. you know, Democrats keep overperforming, like, you know, what their base should be, and especially they're overperforming what they're doing, uh, like, with a Democrat as a president, right? But it should normally like bring out the Republicans, and Democrats should be complacent and stay home, and that's not happening, and it's not happening even like in Iowa, right? Like. So I think we would make a mistake to underestimate how motivated the Democrats are. And I think they're motivated in a very good way. They're not motivated in a cult of personality way like Trump or death. Nobody's saying Biden or death. They're motivated by like an actual political agenda and by an awareness that their party is what stands between America and the abyss. Yes, it's true. Again, they're are a lot of things to happen in these 400 days. And I think that we have, it's 400 days, November will be a year until this fucking election. So, I mean, we do know that, like, this is very early to sort of get quarterbacking, but it does certainly seem like since this Trumpy Supreme Court overturned Roe, they really have caught the car and made Americans very mad at them in ways I don't think they thought would happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, and yeah, that's the other thing, the, the sort of the Dobbs effect. And then more broadly, I mean, I think the Dobbs effect is interestingly interacting with the fact that the GOP has decided to react to the fact that they've enraged 
50% of the population by saying like, well, we're just going to keep like pushing their buttons and going even farther. So if you look at like all the stuff like the Republican media types are saying, like so much of it is sort of baiting single women, right? Saying that like single women, these cat ladies, these losers, they're bad for America. Should they even have the vote? And like, I'm thinking like, okay, like, okay, we took away their fundamental constitutional right. And we're going to keep badgering them. Like, that's a pretty good formula for, like, getting out the voters that hate you the most and making sure that they will show up. So thank you, right-wing media. I salute your service. Well, it is. And it's funny because it's like one of the sort of overreported tropes of this summer was this idea that single women or younger women actually saved the economy this summer because you had this blockbuster feminist movie, Barbie. If you don't think it was feminist, don't send me a message telling me you don't think it was feminist. I think it was feminist period, paragraph. And I'm sorry if you don't think it was feminist. I'm speaking to the people who are going to yell at me about this. This was the summer of women saving the economy. These three young women, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, and Greta Gerwig are responsible for keeping America out of recession. So there is a sense in which you target these women at your own peril. (laughs) No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, again, this sort of strategy of badgering and harassing the people that like hate you the most and making sure that that they understand everything that they could lose if you stay in power. Like to me, that doesn't seem like the smartest thing, but who am I? I'm the guy who also thought it's it's a bad idea to have like policies that kill off your base. Like I'm just a very (laughs) simple person. I don't have the strategic genius. A simple man. Yeah. A simple Canadian man. Jeet here. I hope you will come back. I will always come back. I will never leave you. You're stuck with me for life. (laughs) Okay, good. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, Take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season now's the time to buy at fisher homes for a limited time only enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375 percent apr 6.139 percent apr with these exclusive lower rates you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home financing provided by victory mortgage llc nmls 461249 equal housing lender when you have health insurance, it's easy to think, I'm covered, no worries, right? Well, not so fast. What about your out-of-pocket costs? That can be a lot of money for you and your family. And if you're like me, you can't help but wonder, was I overbilled? You're not alone. It's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. Unless you're a billing expert, how do you know your medical bills are accurate? That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? It's a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance. When your medical claims come in, HealthLock technology reviews the claims for errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden errors, so you pay only what you owe. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. HealthLock finds medical bill errors before you pay. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. 
Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O.com. Congressman Maxwell Frost represents Florida's 10th District. Welcome back to Fast Politics, Congressman Maxwell Frost. Thank you so much for having me on. We're so excited to have you on because first I want to talk to you about being back in Congress now with what we know Republicans are planning. What is happening? Well, (laughs) that's a really good question. It seems like not many people have the answer. It's interesting because ever since I, before I got sworn in, find myself going to members who have been there for a while, who have experience, ask them questions. Hey, what the hell's going on? Like, and most of the time I met with, I don't know, this has never happened before from when we couldn't elect a speaker to when the government was held hostage with the debt ceiling to now we're about to get into the budget season here and we have members of the House of Representatives who are saying, hey, you know what? We're not going to vote on the budget of this country, the paramount job of Congress, unless we can vote to impeach Joe Biden for winning the presidency. And that's what we're up against. So I don't really know what's going on. I mean, it's we'll see. Um, You know, it's really unfortunate. It's hard because it's not just like, oh, we're dealing with people we disagree with. We're dealing with conservatives kind of thing. That's part of it. The biggest part here is we're dealing with people who want to see chaos. Like they will manufacture a bomb, threaten to detonate it unless we do what they say. And oh, also half of them actually kind of want to push the button. Like they're curious to see what would happen. And that's what we're dealing with. It's interesting. I'm really glad you talked about this sort of unprecedentedness because it really is this McCarthy Congress is really sort of the lunatics are running the asylum. And every time McCarthy is able to, I mean, a lot of this is meant to be payback for the debt ceiling, right? So the far right had decided they were going to use the debt ceiling to ruin the full faith and credit of the United States in the hopes of destroying the Biden presidency. That didn't happen. And now they have blamed Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, no, exactly. And the other thing, too, is Kevin McCarthy is the weakest speaker probably in the history of our country. Right. right? I mean, yeah, personally, like him, I would argue him as a leader, he's weak, but also just he's given up a lot of the institutional power that the speaker usually has because he was held hostage by members of his own caucus. And so these folks I would argue to say they're not bluffing a lot of the time. I mean, they hold the tools that they were able to get. And so you're right. They The speaker is in a very tough spot. We can get into this and we'll see how many more Freedom Caucus members come up and say, hey, it's either a feature voter or no budget. And the speaker will have two, op- well, three options. One, he'll have to come to Leader Hakeem Jeffries and ask for Democratic votes. If that happens, 
Hakeem Jeffries isn't just going to say, all right, here's some moderate members, right? I mean, we're going to need some concessions in this budget and we're going to get some stuff out of it. But the problem is if the speaker does that, the next day he'll probably wake up with a motion to vacate the chair out there and Democrats will vote with the Freedom Caucus on that. The other option is he moves forward an impeachment vote and inquiry, which I, I personally believe and many people would believe would really politically harm the Republican Party as we get into 2024, or he can get his people in line and we can and they can pass it. I think that's the least likely thing to happen. <laughs> I mean, it's like we shouldn't be laughing because these people really do want to destroy the federal government. Like that is the goal. Like make it so that retirees don't get their checks, make it so that that your roads don't get paved and your public schools don't get books. And I mean, this is a very dark vision they have for this country, but they are morons. Thank God. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's. I go between laughing about it, crying about it, and feeling numb about it. And I'm sure everybody has a similar thing. It's just hard to figure out how to respond to it because you're right. I mean, they have no problem with blowing everything up in the federal government because they don't believe that government can be a force for good. They are in it to destroy it. And I'm not making this up. I'm not just like saying this for the podcast giggles and laughs like they literally say this all the time. And so it's hard to figure out how to deal with folks like that when there isn't really a North Star, right? There's not like a policy goal here. It's just let's blow it up and resist for the sake of resisting. And it makes it difficult to speculate on what can happen. It makes it difficult to strategize on how to deal with it. You kind of have to just do your best and hope and pray that they don't actually use the tools that they were able to get to really destroy a lot of the hard work that so many people have done for generations. And we have to work at these elections to get these people out of office. So history, if we were to look back at history, says that the party that shuts down the government for no reason tends to get punished. Kevin McCarthy, the United States of amnesia, he has not seen history. So in some ways, I mean, they have a five seat majority. There are numerous Republicans sitting in Biden districts. I mean, this does seem like Kevin McCarthy's last best plan to give the House to Democrats. Yeah, I 100 percent agree with you on this. And I mean, I think it's twofold. I think, number one, it does have consequences for the next election. I will say I do believe that it's important we always remember that not just voters, but just people have kind of short attention spans. We tend to forget things and move on pretty quickly. And a government shutdown is interesting because it is very bad and it impacts a lot of people. For the average person, though, a lot of times they won't feel like a material change. And I think because of that and because it's it just happens all the time now and it's always hyped up, I think a lot of people are becoming a little bit more numb to what a government shutdown I think I think that's part of the reason why when we were knocking doors during the debt ceiling debate, we'd hear a lot of outrage and concern from our prime voters, right? Like well, I could look in van, I could look on minivan and be like, all right, this is a MSNBC voter, right? Like they care about the debt ceiling. And then when we do our canvases that we do oftentimes off van canvassing where it's kind of like we're not really knocking prime voter doors or we're just out doing regular things like people will talk about it, but they're not sure what it is. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. Then I explain to them, well, this actually doesn't happen all the time. A government shutdown happens all the time. This is much worse and different. And so I feel like 
it's becoming the norm for the government to shut down and all this where people are feeling like, oh, well, I guess this is how this is just how it is. And it's very unfortunate. This is part of the reason why so many people have lost faith in government. And it's not like, oh, they've lost faith in Joe Biden. It's just they've lost faith in the institution, no matter who's in it. And part of it is because it's now normal. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you look at the past 20 years, it, it's become a normal thing for the government to shut down and for it to be used as a political tool. And it's really unfortunate. Right. And more like dysfunction is sort of something that people have gotten really used to in this country. Yeah, that's the perfect way to put it. It's the normalization of dysfunction. And it's hard to because, look, I mean, I think that when your back's against the wall and you don't have many opportunities to implement the change that you want, a lot of times you'll look at the tools around you and say, all right, I mean, the budget is what I have. How can we use the budget to further our beliefs? But the problem here is it's not like, oh, this is a group of people fighting for, we're going to use this tool because we need to ensure more people get healthcare, more people get food stamps, more people get this. It's to say, we want to use this tool to ensure less people get benefits, less people get this, and that the government is worse off. And I think there's just a fundamental difference there between those two things. I think oftentimes we try to draw a parallel, you know, it's extremes on both sides and et cetera. And that's true. But when we talk about the people in government, nothing can be further from the truth to draw a parallel between me saying, like, we need healthcare for everybody and someone from the other side saying, we need to abolish the Department of Education. I just like don't see that being the same side of a different <laughs> personally. So I want to talk to you about Florida because Florida is really a state that is like experiencing a lot of the climate change things that we saw coming very quickly. And you have a Republican governor with a lot of political aspirations who is uh, very rejected the money from the Inflation Reduction Act for the state because he's auditioning to be the Trumpiest. So talk to me about, I mean, I feel like there's so much happening in your state, but you've got flooding, you've got hurricanes, you've got just climate, climate, climate. Talk to me about, and then you can't get flood insurance. So talk to me about all that stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the result, like you said, this is a result of a governor who is more interested in running for president than running the state of Florida. And he is, his campaign strategy is to out Trump Trump. It's not working. And a lot of us here in Florida, especially have been enjoying in front row seats the major flop of his presidential candidacy. But someone brought something up to me a, a few weeks ago that really had me thinking. They said, yeah, it's all funny and stuff, but I'm worried about what he's going to do when he gets back because he's still governor for three more years. And that's very true. It's very true. And the fact of the matter is, even if he loses this race, which it looks like he's going to not win the primary, but anything could happen. He's not an old guy. I right. mean... And even though as voters get to know him, they dislike him and they like other people more. If you look at the numbers, it's not like his favorability is super low. I mean, if Donald Trump weren't a factor, he'd be the front runner. I say this to say that we shouldn't just revel in the funniness and just kind of dismiss him as a threat because this is it's more than just, oh, 2024. We got to think about four years after that and the four years after that. And that's something that Republicans are really good at. They're good at looking at the landscape and looking at the next 20 years 
Versus Democrats, we tend to look at things cycle by cycle. And I've noticed that from being a field organizer to now like being in a lot of the rooms, these conversations are not really based on long-term power building. And I think it's to our detriment. So a word of caution here to everybody to laugh. I mean, it's hilarious. The pudding, all of it. I love it. But <laughs> let's keep in mind that let's think about what happens after President Biden, right? And I mean, like after we win this re-election because we're going to win, after we take back the House, after we retain the Senate, and we have four years of great work, that's the goal. What happens after that? And I think we have to talk about it. I think it's a, it should deeply influence how we organize now. And this is the drum I've been beating on the youth vote. The youth vote and the way we interact with young people, it's really important because, yes, it's about the votes today. It's about winning now. But it's also about the realization that in eight years, like Gen Z and millennials make up a third of the electorate right now. One third of the electorate right now. In eight years, it will be much, much, much more than that. So when we pour our messaging and love and resources into young voters now, it helps us create lifelong voters. We might speak to a ton of young people who just won't vote in 2024. And it doesn't mean it's money wasted because that messaging and that love and those resources will yield results two years later, four years later. And that's really important. And that's how we can really, we have an opportunity to change this country forever from an electoral point of view, but that work starts now. I mean, and it has to influence the work now. So either way, I kind of went on a tangent there outside of Florida, no, but, but it's important. It's a really, but I think it's a really important point and something that Democrats do a lot of handering about. And they happen to have in you, someone who is, young and also a person of color and also someone who grew up in Florida, which is theoretically at least a swing state. I mean, you actually speak from really a place of knowing such things, if that makes any sense. You're not some like elderly white pollster telling me this. So I do think it's important and it is something that the Democratic Party really, I think both parties are really struggling with. Yeah, exactly. And it's less to do, I mean, we know for a fact that Gen Z is the most progressive generation in the history of our country, even when you look at Gen Zers who consider themselves to be conservative. And so that's great. And it's good for us now. 70% of Gen Zers voted for Democrats last cycle. Amazing. Good. So statistics and polling shows that unlike a lot of other generations, it looks like we won't grow as conservative as we get older. There's still going to be some of that, but there won't be as much. So the question is, how do we keep those numbers where they're at? And the way you do that is by continuing to put resources and not taking people for granted. If you want a story about taking people for granted, you don't have to look any further than South Florida and see that for the first time in a long time, even though it was close, Republicans won Miami-Dade last year crazy. And it's not like one year Democrats won it by a ton. And then this year Republicans want to buy a ton. No, it's, it's little by little. It's steady. It's a 30 year plan that is starting to, we're starting to see the benefits of it. Right. And I mean, I do think like that is a really good point about how, and I mean, part of that is because the Democratic Party infrastructure in Florida has really had problems, right? Will you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The Democratic Party in Florida has had problems for a long time. I think oftentimes we try to pin it on one person and people exacerbate problems. People, especially who have a more like dogmatic way of thinking, will continue the status quo. And that's the reason we're in this situation. I think 
our new chair, Nikki Freed, is showing a new path that has a lot of promise for people here. And the grassroots folks here in Florida are really excited about that new path. And I think we're seeing a new crop of electeds too. A lot of new people being elected who are bringing- right, like Anna, who I interviewed yeah, for the podcast. Exactly. You, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Representative Anna Skamani, actually, yeah, later today I'm going to her kickoff for her reelection campaign, which is exciting. And so we have a lot of new people all across the state, not just in Central Florida. And we are all very active all the time on the campaign side year round. And that's really what it's going to take. I mean, it can't just be up to the Florida Democratic Party. It has to be up to everybody, all the organizations, all the electeds thinking about this. And when we do that, it's how we build power. I mean, I'm starting to do it here locally. I, I was looking, I'm a nerd and I'll just read Ballotpedia for like an hour or two. So I was looking at Ballotpedia and I made this spreadsheet of all the city council and county commission elections here in Orlando and Central Florida. And I realized, wow, over the next eight years, the local government here will just completely change because of term limits. Just And that will happen in two to three years. There'll be a two to three year period in my area where just everything changes. And then I took a step back and I was like, as a progressive movement, are we ready for that? No. I could think of maybe like a couple people that might run for something, but I can't think of like a whole apparatus. And so now I'm working on that. And I think it's important that we do that across the country. It's it's really important. Maxwell Frost, I would love to run over, but Jesse is now sending me the dragon emoji. So I have to end. But I hope you will come back and talk more about this. Of course. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Josh Marshall is the editor of Talking Points Memo. Welcome to Fast Politics, Josh Marshall. How are you? I am surviving. So I want to talk to you about last week, Biden did this blockbuster drug negotiation. Basically, no president has been able to do it since Medicare Part D, since there was this sort of thing written into Medicare Part D, which was that you can't negotiate drug prices. Now, here we are. Biden has done this. We spent the whole weekend reading about DeSantis. Right. Well, I don't have an answer for that exactly. These things don't play necessarily for the intended constituencies the way that we see them play out, right? I mean, yes, they've been trying to do this for about 20 years. What is it? Medicare Part D, I think, was in 2003. So this has been going on for 20 years and it's been blocked for all this time. But that's not as exciting or impulse driving as what the latest DeSantis crash and burn stuff or what Elon Musk is doing on Twitter. And to a certain extent, that doesn't surprise me that much. But yeah, I don't think we know necessarily how these things are playing politically. I know that there's a lot of people who say it's the press's fault. I do think there's a limited truth to that. Half the people in the country just listen to Fox News. I mean, half are in the maybe 35 or 40% are in the information stream that is generated by Fox News, even if they're not directly listening to Fox News. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to talk about Elon. He's not not an anti-Semite. Discuss. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really know what to say about him. I mean, people are really what they do, not what they think in their heart of hearts. There's this guy, John Gantz, who, who I was reading something by him. Oh, I love John Gantz. He's really smart. Yeah. yeah. So he was saying something and he said he had this kind of good turn a phrase or way of turning a standard discussion we get into that there's just not that much to be gained for thinking about what people really think right in their hearts 
Well, most people right. are not thinking that much at all. Right. Right. And that was a very elegant way of saying something that I think a lot of us sense, even if we're not able to quite articulate it, that um, we live in an information world where people are picking up chunks of words and chunks of thought and repeating them back depending on what team they feel they are on. And so most people are not actually thinking that much at all. But kind of to go back to that famous onion story, some people end up always going in one direction. And with Elon Musk, you don't see him happening on to getting really excited about Medicare price negotiations or any number of other things. He always seems to get ginned up in the direction of the rights of very uh, hateful and evil people. And how they're they're getting getting. Yeah, things are very hard for them. And it's the company he keeps. And at some level, it's obviously his sort of core drives, the kind of thing he thinks are unfair, the kind of people he thinks are bad and good. And that's just who he is. And if you see how he operates, he largely, I think we can call him an influencer, right? A kind of a prominent person. He has 155 million followers on Twitter. He's the richest man in the world still, despite having shed some sh- shed some net worth. He's made some bad investments. Yeah, made some bad investments, but he still has the dominant position in space flight and electric cars and even in its sort of degraded state twitter or whatever i don't really care what he calls it but he he acts like any number of other middle-aged guys who are kind of cranky and hateful it's just that he has a, a rather larger megaphone so it matters a lot more in a way what he's his whole shtick isn't that surprising he is i think there's this sort of interesting phenomenon which is discussed sometimes, which is this sort of idea that you have billions of dollars, you have more money than you or your heirs could ever spend, right? You have incalculable wealth, right? You have fame, but you still, all you really want is to be as powerful as a member of the New York Times editorial board. Like what you really want is to be taken seriously as a thought leader, which I think is like a little bit, I mean, this is clearly what a lot of these guys want. And it's sort of like you think about David Rubenstein, like he has a Bloomberg show. Like these guys want to not just be wildly incalculably wealthy, but they also want to be famous and they don't even just want to be famous. They don't want to be famous the way like a reality television star is famous. They want to be famous the way that, and again, I use this example with all the needed caveats, Henry Kissinger is famous. Yeah. The way I would put that is they want respect. They want to be respected and they want to be respected by people who they think have a lot of cultural capital, to use the sort of the, the, the fancy way people put it, the people who have, I don't know, yeah, cultural capital, whatever that means. And you see it with Musk. In some ways, it's been in a, in a, in a slightly different vein that this has been the story of Donald Trump, right? Trump, despite his overstating his wealth, obviously a pretty wealthy guy right? He's a pretty powerful guy, but he's been driven in a lot of ways by not, people always thought Donald Trump was a joke. They used to think he was more benign joke, kind of just a kind of clown character as opposed to a really a, a dangerous or malevolent person. But he he didn't get 
respect. And that with Musk is kind of the story too. So there's a huge amount of our uh, public culture in this country that is about people's grievance about that. And it sort of, it expresses itself as this kind of faux populism. And that has traction because there is some truth in that in the sense of people with fancy degrees and fancy titles and who get published by fancy publishing houses have a lot of clout. And there's a lot of other people in this country who don't have that and who feel some like Ben Shapiro. Uh, resentment about it. Well, in this case, <laughs> That's where I'm, yes. I, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, you mean Ben Shapiro? I mean, my favorite moment was that Barbie movie. He's like, it's going to sink like a stone. Yeah. Yes. But I would say that what I think of more is just everyday people, right? Who aren't particularly powerful, celebrities, wealthy, et cetera. But you have this weird eddy in the public culture that someone like Ben Shapiro, who is must be a very wealthy man, is kind of ubiquitous in social media. He's everywhere. He's every he's a celebrity, he's wealthy, he's powerful. And yet that kind of grievance is central to his whole shtick. Yeah, no, he just wants to uh, be published by Knopf. Yeah, I mean, clearly what Elon wants is that same kind of acceptance of polite society. But I think what is so silly about it is like you have billions of dollars just build a new polite society, which actually they're doing outside of San Francisco, where billionaires are buying up land to start their own city because they don't need San Francisco. That is an incredible bit of sorcery. Yeah, it's funny because the people who are involved in that are not all right. Elon Musk types. No. You've got a lot of people. The quote unquote good guys. Yeah, Reed the Hoffman. kind of, the, you know, yeah, Reed Hoffman, the progressive billionaires. And in some ways kind of, on its surface, a lot of it is it's going to be a walking based place and there's a lot, it's going to be carbon neutral and yeah, there's going to be solar panels and everything. So it's not just a kind of, what is that thing they have, whatever in coal where these guys soup up their pickups right. and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it is this idea, which billionaires seem to be very hot on. And again, I'm not saying they're wrong, though I think they're wrong, that they can do government better than the little people. And I do think you'd be hard pressed to find a billionaire who doesn't think they can do government better than the government. I think that's unquestionably true. You have some exceptions, but billionaires are obviously very powerful. That's one of the issues with billionairedom in our society. And particularly with Musk, who's obviously, it's not just that he's, you've got various billionaires. You've got George Soros, you've got Reid Hoffman, you've got uh, Zuckerberg. And these people, at least at some level, range across the political spectrum. But in Musk's case, I'm sure some, many of your listeners saw or uh, saw that article, that big article, very impressively in put together Wall in the Street Times. Oh, th that one too. But the one in the Times was about that, like something like more than half the active satellites in the skies are controlled by Elon Musk. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of bad. Yeah. And that actually has played into when the U.S. is dealing with the Ukraine war, they needed to get Elon Musk sign off for the communication stuff. To So there comes a question in, in any democratic society or in a sort of a global society, when when are you just too powerful that an individual billionaire becomes so powerful, everyone else's civic democratic freedom comes 
into question. And that is definitely something that is part of the sort of the issue of billionairedom in our society today. But Musk is in a special category because he, for various reasons, kind of holds the commanding heights in several critical parts of the global economy. But yeah, they have, it, it's sort of natural for billionaires to think they could do it better because they've, look, it every certainly every billionaire who didn't inherit their billions and probably I mean, even those. A lot of who did, yes. Yeah, they've had a great run of luck. Now, they wouldn't say luck. They would say it's skill and they're doing. But sort of whichever it is, you're rolling the dice and they're always coming up in your favor and, and you sort of think you've got a knack for it. So again, it's sort of, it would be surprising if it weren't the case. The one thing I want to sort of get back to here is there is a kind of like the federal government ceded these things to Musk, right? Like this, Musk has had so many advantages from tax rebates to, I mean, to research that was funded by the government. I mean, and I'm not saying he's the only one. I mean, a great example is this drug negotiation right now that Biden is doing. So the pharma companies are pushing back and saying, if you negotiate the drug prices, you won't be able to get cancer drugs, right? We won't be able to use this money that we need, that 700 and $64 a month it costs for your heart medicine, for your Elderol or whatever it's called for the, your heart medicine that you have to take for heart failure. If you don't pay $764 a month, we can't do the research we need to do to cure cancer. Now, a lot of this research you is- know, The biggest thing is they're clearly under-investing in drug names. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, because if they're calling your heart failure drug Elderol, I mean, what the fuck, right? I don't know but, if I can say that. I probably can't say no, that. No, you can sorry. absolutely anyway. say it. We curse here all the time. But I think like, so, I mean, they're saying that. And then we look over and we see that actually the federal government is very involved in R&D drug development. Not always, but certainly a lot of this money is actually just going to paying their executives and thinking about marketing and television ads. So I do think like- there are many, many people in this country who have gotten rich off tax money that should not be going to them. Yeah, well, there's a lot of very interesting, funny, you know, kind of quizzical things about Elon Musk. One of them is that, you know, tech is built on software, most, much of tech, a lot of the tech that we know of is built on software and network effects. The one case where Musk has gotten involved in that is Twitter, and it's been a catastrophic failure in economic terms. And the irony is what Musk is really has a pretty strong record on is heavy industry, building cars, building spacecraft, right? That is not usually the thing. You know, Apple is sort of in some ways the exception of the, in the, the big tech players being largely hardware-based as opposed to Facebook, Google, Amazon, blah, blah. Obviously, Amazon has some footing in hardware. And with the electric cars thing, I mean, yes, he built that on public money, but we put public money there to help start an electric vehicle industry. So that was kind of the idea. And with certainly with SpaceX, he's built that entirely on government contracts, right? That he got the NASA contract, basically. That's how he built it. He beat out, rightly or wrongly, Jeff Bezos, who also has his own little space company. That uh, So certainly the point is that Elon Musk's money is entirely based on navigating the policies of 
the federal government and the money it puts behind things. And sort of the most generous thing you can say is that we're now able to send a lot more stuff into space because he's been successful at that and and how he's been able to get the price down for a freight to near Earth orbit and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it is not a libertarian vision. It all comes from piggybacking on federal government spending. He's a product, ironically, he is a product of the Obama and Biden administrations. Right. So one last question, exactly, is a product of the administrations he's now trying to remove. One last question. Is Elon Musk our Henry Ford? He really seems like it to me. I just mentioned that in a post I did like earlier this morning that Ford was a true innovator in this sort of the assembly. You know, we don't think of that as high tech now, but the assembly line and and all the different sort of management stuff that goes into it. And then he became kind of a virulent anti-Semitic crank and he had his own little newspaper up there in Michigan and everything. And so, it yes, it, he really does seem like that. And his shenanigans didn't seem to hurt Ford Motor Company. They're still chugging along. So maybe it'll be the same. I, I don't know. But he really does seem similar because that's the thing with it's not just luck with Musk. And I'm about as anti-Musk as you can be. I, I don't think you manage SpaceX and Tesla without bringing some element to the equation that has enabled his success. And I say that as someone who really you know, reviles the guy. But even when you make economic decisions that work out well for you, great in our system, you make a ton of money, but you get the money. You don't, it's, it's always important for the republic, the state, the public to say you can get all your money, but you don't necessarily get to make all the decisions because you can't be more powerful. You can't become so powerful that everyone else's power becomes a footnote. And that's kind of in some ways where we are with Musk on some of these fronts. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back. Well, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. And now your moment of fuckery. Jesse Cannon. Molly Jong Fast, that Ken Paxton. He uh, he's a real Wallace guy, real model Trump uh, MAGA guy. And uh, what are you seeing here? Today is an incredible day. It is the beginning of Ken Paxton's impeachment trial. Ken Paxton is the Attorney General. He's the most. He considers himself to be the most conservative attorney general ever he is he's going to be impeached he's being impeached again by a jury of his peers a lot of very conservative republicans it so, the net net of this is he tried to hide his affair from his wife on his voters and one of his one of his biggest donors gave his mistress or his alleged mistress a job. I want to say that one of the really fun things about this trial is that Ken Paxton's lawyer is a guy called Tony Busby, and he is completely orange a la Donald Trump. And he is totally hilarious. And you can watch it live streamed. And it's pretty great. So go to the Texas Senate and watch the guy who had the multiple indictments get impeached. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. 
I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. When you have insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. How do you know you're not overpaying? HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a technology company that securely connects with your insurance and reviews your claims for overbilling, wrong codes, and even fraud. To date, HealthLock has saved its members over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.